Sally dear, now that we're man and wife, I will do wonders to make your life soul-stirring and free of care. If we fight and we might, I'll concede. Furthermore, dear, should your ego need bolstering, I'll do my But though I'll do my utmost to see you never frown And though I'll try to cut most of our expenses down I've some traits I warn you to which you'll have objections I do have a point Well, I may make a rotten host to tell, but no matter what goes wrong, love will see us through till something better comes along. I may vex your folks. Okay, I may interrupt your jokes. You may, but if I come on too strong, love will see us through till something better comes along. I may play cards all night and come home at three. Just leave a light on the porch for me. Perfect. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, December 26th, 2021. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He is the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at fellowspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. So, Michael, we have a, a, a slight alteration in the calendar for the the boys from Syracuse, they're going to be the men from Syracuse now? <laughs> just, a, just a tiny delay <laughs> from December 29th to June 16th for our uh, performance of the boys from Syracuse in concert at Feinstein's 54 Below. Um, uh, nobody actually got sick, but it was just COVID concerns uh, from various people involved in our company. Uh, I, I hasten to add that the other shows, at least some other shows, are still continuing at Feinstein's, including Andrea McArdle uh, that evening at seven, who was going to be our opening act. But now she's, uh, you know, she's uh, on her own. Um, so uh, our, uh, our our whole company, the the Drinkwater Brothers, John and Matthew Drinkwater and uh, Leah Horowitz and Katie Dixon and Christine Petty and Steve Ross, et cetera, et cetera, are really, um, you know, we just wanted to wait and present it without having to worry every day that it might be canceled. Uh, and so hopefully by, hopefully, hopefully by June, this will not be an issue. Uh, June 16th. Uh, uh, do we know where that is in comparison to the Tony awards? Oh, uh, I didn't look that up, but it must be It'll after. Be later. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> if there's a Tony awards, if we have, a Tony award. <laughs> we have not gotten an official word. Either way, uh, if there is going to be a Tony Awards this June, but I mean, we just kind of assume, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the 20. uh, So June 16th is a Thursday. So Tony Awards could be the 12th or the 5th. Yeah. uh, On a Sunday. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. 
Um, but it has been a, a, a crazy couple of weeks here in New York. Um, and I should say around the world, but, you know, focused on the uh, Broadway performances right. and performances of uh, lots of things all around the globe, all around the globe, being canceled and delayed and things like that. Not just the boys from Syracuse, but uh, many Broadway shows and the off again, on again rumor that Broadway is going to shut down again. And the uh, the mayor of New York and the governor of New York and and uh, the Broadway League saying they're not going to shut down. So we're all kind of in a wait and see thing. But we thought mm -hmm. we would. We would go and look backwards at 2021 and see what uh, some of our favorite moments um, in the Broadway and theatrical community were for 2021. So, Peter, why don't you get us started off here? What are some of your favorite things that happened in 2021? Well, um, I guess the best musical I saw was The Visitor down at uh, the Public Theater um, about um, a man who comes back to his apartment only to find that illegal immigrants are living there and yet he bonds with them based on a movie which I haven't seen, though I do own. I just haven't watched it yet. Um, but this, I think, is a very, very fine musical, and I really hope that it has a future because I was very, very moved by the uh, by the situation. Uh, I do believe that uh, the score um, is is fine as well, but nevertheless, uh, the emotional power of uh, the book really impressed me amazingly. So did Kimberly Akimbo. Um, yeah. David Lindsay Abair adapted his um, play and uh, from years ago, and uh, I was tremendously moved by this as well. Uh, Victoria Clark played a woman with a terrible disease where she ages uh, much too fast and is expected to die by the time she's 16 and she's 15 now. And um, and uh, Janine Tesori um, surprises us once again. It does not seem that the woman who wrote this music is the same woman who wrote Carolina Change. Mm -hmm. So she's quite a musical chameleon. So I like that very much. Bonnie Milligan and Kimberly Akimbo is phenomenal beyond belief, playing a thoroughly immoral woman who just has no regard for the law whatsoever, doesn't even think about it. Uh, well, I guess she thinks about it from the vantage point that uh, she has to evade it now and then. But nevertheless, nothing stops her from doing what she wants to do. And and that includes taking a mailbox off the street for her own uh, purposes. So, um, so she was really quite wonderful there. I have to point out Heidi Blickenstaff in um, Jagged Little Pill uh, turned out to be phenomenal. Uh, I was very glad I got a return visit to that show, uh, which has a wonderful, wonderful book. I had, um, I hope it has in the sense that we do have a future for it somewhere because I think it deserves it. Um, really a, a tremendous work of art uh, that she in showing this mother who uh, has a lot of problems and is trying to hold on as best she can without letting anybody know she's in terrible trouble. So, um, so I liked her a lot. And Ahmad Maksud in The Visitor, I thought gave a tremendous performance, and especially since he was asked to take over at a moment's notice, given the fact that uh, um, the original uh, gentleman decided to leave. So Ahmad Maksud, uh, what a performance. You'd swear it was um, his from day one. So, um, so that uh, was great. Another understudy who was great was Mallory Magke uh, in Six, uh, taking over for Miss um, Mueller. Um, really did a fine job there. I was very glad to see her uh, do the the part and I, I think that she really has quite a future for revival i'd say assassins is classic stage company um really uh, powerful in every way with a lot of imagination john doyle uh, really did a fine job here john doyle takes a lot of heat for you know establishing the idea that musicians uh, could play roles
triples and thus turning triple threats and quadruple threats because you have to do four things now. Well, not just sing, dance, and act, but also play instruments. But he hasn't done that in a long time. And um, he really did a fine, fine job in uh, reconceiving this and adding a few deft touches that we didn't see in the um, original production or even subsequent productions. So I also admire Baby at Theater Lab, uh, the Maltby Shire show, uh, Sybil Pearson's book. Uh, Richard Maltby did a, a few little tweaks here and there, and uh, the cast was really quite game um, in a very small space. Um, I, th- I think it was like 65 seats. So I like that uh, quite a bit as well. And I'd also like to shout out a show that might um, enjoy a second chance. Um, it got a second chance, actually, as a benefit, but that's Mrs. McThing um, with uh, music by Jack Urbont, uh, who wrote one of my favorite scores of years ago, All in Love, a musical version of The Rivals. Tremendous musical. Um, and uh, Michael Colby did the uh, book and lyrics and uh, quite deft work there as well. So for choreography, I'd go with Beyond Peter, Babble. can I interrupt you for a second? Sure. Mm-hmm. Where, where was Mrs. McThing? Did you say? that um uh, i don't even remember it was in some little um space because it was a benefit it wasn't a run um ah, so okay. um so as a result um it, mm-hmm. it, it, it um <laughs> i really have no idea where it was um i, I saw it too and i can't remember offhand. isn't that funny <laughs> but, <laughs> but that, i don't remember i don't remember us talking about it at all on broadway radio and i don't know if we mentioned it but yeah um, we did yeah and I, my and our uh our, the musical director for that was michael, michael levine, levine right who was yeah. going to be our musical director for Syracuse. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, Tremendous talent. And um, in terms of musical, last but hardly least, uh, Rob McClure giving one of the best performances Mm -hmm. I've ever seen an actor give in um, musicals uh, ever, ever. So um, while there are many reasons to see Mrs. Doubtfire, he is certainly the prime reason. I mean, uh, should he be out? um, I'm not saying he should leave. But um, I would think that you should really go see him no matter what your feelings are about the movie of Mrs. Doubtfire or what you've heard from various critics. This is a performance that must, 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 must be seen. So for musicals, that's where I'd start. All right, Michael, how about you? Well, I'm looking back and I I guess uh, I hadn't quite remembered, but the first Broadway show uh, that I saw after the pandemic or, you know, <laughs> after the reopening right. in yeah. the midst of the pandemic <laughs> yeah, we um, hope. <laughs> was Hamilton on a Friday, October 1st. And what a way to come back that I, I remember I discussed it at the time. It was a very, very, very hot audience and absolutely packed. And and as I, I think I mentioned at the time, I was so impressed that the audience was so um, well behaved. They were incredibly enthusiastic, but there was none of that screaming stuff, that look at me stuff uh, mm-hmm. that people do mm-hmm. like to just call mm-hmm. attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were really, you could tell they were really, really with the show. And it was phenomenal with the, with the new people, including uh, Miguel Cervantes in the title role and, and everyone else, all of the other new people. So that was amazing. And I, I only got to see it because... My friend Giuseppe Bausilio is oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he got me a standing room ticket for forty bucks, um, and that was an incredible way to to come back. And then that following week, I got to see Laura Benanti at fifty four. Uh, so I did get to see her. I, I did not get to see her last week, and when she was supposed to be singing with the New York Pops at Carnegie Hall, uh, because uh, she had a, uh, apparently a COVID 
situation in her family. Uh, but I'm glad, so I'm really doubly glad that I got to see her at 54. Her show was really amazing there. And then that, that same week, I, I, I'm sorry to say I saw one of the low points, uh, which was six, which the more I think about that show, I just, I, it just really upsets me. So I probably shouldn't say anything more than that <laughs> at the moment. Um, then I'm going forward here. I'm looking at uh, I, uh, Chicken and Biscuits was so delightful. I I really wish it had found an audience. Uh, and maybe if it wasn't still a pandemic, maybe it would have. Uh, but that was really, really a very well written and well acted. And it was so heartwarming to hear laughter uh, in a theater like that you know, which I hadn't really heard in a long, in a long time. Uh, Cause that was the first flat out comedy, I guess I'd seen in, in a really long time. Um, what else going forward here? Um, oh, Mrs. Warren's profession uh, on theater row, the Gingold uh, group that with a brilliant, beautiful performance by uh, Karen Ziamba and also our, our friend, Bob Cuccioli, and then a lot of new people that uh, that I was completely unfamiliar with, but really bowled me over. Uh, Marilyn May, who, by the way, um, is going to, I, as of now, uh, you know, she's going to be at Birdland uh, just in a, in a few days for her, for, for New Year's Eve, and then uh, I think for a few days after that, I have a ticket for January 2nd. Uh, but uh, she... Uh, I saw her in that Tin Pan Alley celebration uh, that was held on October 23rd down by the Flatiron building. And, and she's always amazing. Uh, just, just amazing. Um, then I had the week where I saw both is this a room and Dana H uh, which were incredible experiences at the Lyceum. Uh, I, I, I hope everyone got to see those and if not i hope they live on in in some form or another but it would be great if they live on with the original cast because those people were were just fabulous <laughs> um and then i did see mrs mcthing uh on uh let's see october 31st and let's see oh was that tada Peter. Yeah, it was a benefit. Ah, that's benefit right. For that's right. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Isn't it nice that we have computer calendars that we can go back? <laughs> uh, so what else? Uh, just going forward, uh, uh, I uh, I've seen so many so many wonderful things. I completely agree about Mrs. Doubtfire. Everything that Peter said, um, including the fact that that Rob's performance is alone is enough to see it there are there are other wonderful people in it too uh such as uh brad oscar and uh uh peter bartlett and uh every, and several other people but um there are problems with the, the writing of the show i think and also the direction i would say but rob mcclure he's just he is really the real the real real deal and i saw that the night before i saw kimberly akimbo um, and I completely agree with Peter about that. I, I, I think we, we do agree that there's um, some issues with the writing in terms mm -hmm. of that, that one character, especially the, uh, the Bonnie Milligan character. Mm -hmm. um, I would love it if they address those issues before they move forward. Uh, so, so that's great. Oh, and another um, 
another postponement or cancellation news. I was so looking forward to Romeo and Bernadette yeah. coming back. Yeah. Uh, but for now, it's uh, postponed indefinitely. And I do hope to see that because I, I, that was thoroughly enjoyable, directed by Justin Ross Cohen, written by Mark Saltzman and with a great cast and um, including Nikita Burstein in a beautiful, beautiful performance that I think will probably <laughs> get him a drama desk nomination if the show ever actually goes on. So we'll hope for that. Happening. I liked Romeo and Bernadette quite a bit too. And um, I thought Judy McLean really was uh, quite fine in it as well. Uh, <laughs> playing, um, <clears throat> let's say, an atypical mother. But um, all things considered, I, I do believe we are going to see it. Um, the, 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 Eric Krebs, the producer, actually um, was the very first person to cancel a show when, when COVID happened. Uh, he was about to move that to a theater right. row. Right. Since then, he's taken over a theater on uh, 42nd Street called Theater 555, because that's the address, 555 West 42nd. So I do think if we live long enough, we are going to see that show. Oh yeah, I hope so. And you're right. Yes, Judy was fabulous in a in a very different role. Yeah, indeed. from what we had ever seen her in before, or at sure. least I had ever seen her in before. I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to throw in that uh, I I'm not sure what to call them the the 2020 Tony Awards or the 2020-21 Tony Awards. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure what to call it, but the Tony Awards that, that have uh, already happened uh, in, was it September? I thought it was a really <laughs> wonderful uh, ceremony and uh, the way in which they, they chose to, um, they chose to kind of highlight Broadway and uh, go, go about dealing with the, the unusual circumstances was, was a, a wonderful thing. I also tangentially to Broadway uh, watched uh, The Matrix uh, the other night, <laughs> and uh, Jonathan Groff, I didn't realize, was starring in it in The Matrix, and Neil Patrick Harris as well. They both of them played two major roles in The Matrix, and they were wonderful. And so, if you're fans of Groff and Neil Patrick Harris, uh, get over to. I didn't the, know that. Oh, no, he is. He is like he, he he's the major role, and I don't want to spoil anything. But really, he has got one line in there that's really awesome. He's like uh, he he says something along the lines of, uh, "Who knew I had such devastatingly piercing blue eyes?" <laughs> <laughs> is it uh, now? Excuse my ignorance. Is this is is it just called the Matrix? It well, the Matrix is the series. So uh, this one is called the Matrix uh, Resurrections. And uh, I think it's on HBO. Rob Johnston, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think it's on HBO Max or something like that. And Neil Patrick Harris and Groff uh, are prominent in the story. Uh, and oh, Rob, that's great. Rob, Rob Johnson says it's in theaters. Of course, it's in theaters and HBO Max. I watched it on HBO Max. So, And am I to understand that, um, that Andrew Garfield is somehow in the new Spider-Man Yes, uh, because uh, they bring the somehow bring the previous Spider Men back in a way, something like that. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. My 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 son said yesterday we have to go see Spider Man, and so, he is uh, that he is on <laughs> such a wonderful role, Andrew Garfield. Sure is. He got raves for that Tammy Faye 
Baker, Jim Baker thing that I did not see. Then, of course, there was Tick, Tick, Boom. And now this this movie is apparently a phenomenon, the Spider-Man at the, at the box office. Oh, it, it, uh, we're looking at Record the box setting. office, uh, almost a billion dollars in a pandemic already in yeah. seven days. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, really, really uh, just uh, amazing. Yeah, the, the movie industry is trying to make its way but all i mean this is like uh you know the spider-man franchise is like hamilton times 10 you know so well, it's not, not a, it's I not mean, a normal movie not that i mean to compare uh this to that but nevertheless um yesterday i decided to uh go to see the Macbeth movie oh, uh, with denzel uh-huh. washington and uh francis mcdormand and uh you know i went to a multiplex on 68th street and as people were filing in I thought, oh, I might be in the wrong theater because there were a lot of children coming in with their parents. And um, I thought, whoa, um, did I get it right? And I checked the ticket and auditorium, too. I mean, you know, it looks like it's going to be it. But it was pretty full. Um, And that, too, made me say, hmm, am I in the right theater that is Hmm. so full? Because uh, who expects Macbeth to do um, any type of business? But nevertheless, tremendous cinematography, by the way, a very, very effective film. Uh, But the cinematography reminded me a great deal of Orson Welles' um, Othello back from 1952. Uh, and also, this one's in black and white as well. And um, But everybody's very, very good in it. And who expected Bertie Carvel to be in it? Um, the gentleman who was in uh, Matilda playing uh, Miss Trunchbull, uh, he's in it as well. And so um, a lot of surprises there. You'll see other people, too, that you know from uh, from theater in the film, as, as you might expect with the Shakespeare work. but. Um, still um, a very, very fine achievement. So even though this may not be grossing what Spider-Man does, I was very, very pleased to see the theater quite full on a Christmas day. Are you allowed to see Macbeth in a movie theater? (laughs) 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 I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the rules, uh, the international rules of that are. So, yeah. So that uh, was some of the things that I loved about. Uh, What's next on your list, Peter? Well, uh, in terms of plays, um, I certainly admired the Layman trilogy quite a bit, and, um, uh, and, and certainly uh, Messrs. Beale, Godley, and Lester uh, in them uh, in the parts. I did expect a very different experience because, as I mentioned before, it started at the Park Avenue Armory, so I fully expected it was going to be this big spectacle, as so many things at the Park Avenue Armory are, because it's an enormous space. But no, um, I was supposed to go, but I got waylaid um, when I was supposed to go to the Park Avenue Armory, so I. I didn't see it there. So it was quite a surprise to me to see that. Um, in terms of an adaptation, if we want to call it that, I would say Twilight Los Angeles 1992, originally done by Anna DeVere Smith and here done by a, a, a five, six member cast, you know, taking the parts. They didn't do, uh, we didn't have a specific part for each actor. There are too many interviews that Anna DeVere Smith did about um, the Rodney King incident from way back when. And but it was um, especially powerful in this era of George Floyd. So uh, because um, history, of course, um, tends to repeat itself, whether we like it or not. And um, Marjan Neshat 
in selling Kabul. We talked about this rather recently. Um, this was a very effective piece of theater where we uh, watched um, Afghanistan people in terrible trouble. Um, and this woman is trying to protect her brother, telling him he cannot remotely even put on a TV because people might see the flickering uh, image yeah. uh, through the through the um, Venetian blinds. So uh, she was so so impressive in showing us how you had to be overly paranoid that overly paranoid in this situation is being sensible. That's what was so effective about her performance. So I thought she was really quite uh, marvelous for a featured actor. I'd go with Tom Sessmer in letters of Shiresh, uh, which was uh, done at um, second stage playing an older man. Uh, he's not as old as the man he was supposed to be, but you would swear that he was that age, uh, a very honest, unaffected performance. One where, yeah, I'm, again, my favorite type of acting, I've said this a million times, is where it seems there's no acting at all. Uh, that's what it's supposed to be. And, uh, and I would say that uh, he certainly uh, achieved there. For a featured actress, uh, I go with Kelly Kinsella. Uh, who was in uh, Frumasaro, Waiting in the Wing. Uh, th this was uh, Jackie Hoffman's show where she plays Frumasaro in a production of Fiddler, which means you don't have much to do. So there's a lot of time backstage <laughs> where you talk to uh, the stage manager. And Jackie Hoffman was hilarious, as we expect. So uh, that, that was fine. Uh, terrific performance. But uh, playing somebody who uh, was not flamboyant, um, again, a backstage uh, person who... Um, uh, do I say knows her place? Well, the point is she knows she's not the star, but, but again, an honest, honest performance um, by Kelly Kinsella. So that was um, tremendous as far as I was concerned. Um, sustained excellence. Certainly um, Emily Davis and Pete Simpson. And is this a room um, uh, about people who get themselves in trouble, not expecting to, well, I guess um, a lot of people don't. Um, it reminds me of the line in city of angels where the hard boiled detective stone says, everyone's in trouble. It's only the smart ones who know it. Um, so, uh, so these people aren't as smart as they might've been one uh, Pete Simpson, uh, very good as a, um, uh, as one of the people who breaks into the apartment saying you're under arrest. So um, John Michael Hill and Amir Smallwood pass over um, wonderful performances. Great to see them again, even for the small time that it was on Broadway, but, and Deirdre O'Connell and Dana H. I know I said that she was only 99 and 44, 100% effective compared to the hundred percent. I saw her at um, the vineyard, but you know, 99 and 44, 100% is an A where I went to school an A plus in fact so um so for plays meaning dramatic plays um that was um uh, those were the ones that really um uh, rang my chimes uh michael anything else on your list well just that i'm also looking back and realizing that i saw two sondheim shows in the course of four days because i saw assassins at csc on uh sunday uh December 12th and company on Broadway on Wednesday, the 15th. So that was a privilege. And needless to say, I, I, I did enjoy assassins very much overall. I thought there were some uh, directorial issues and you know what I didn't like? Um, uh, I guess, I guess I do have to maybe somewhat disagree with Peter on this. I, I didn't think it added anything really to have musicians as part of the cast 
in that in this show, uh, except for uh, Ethan Slater uh, did play guitar sure. or guitar. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as the uh, that's called the balladeer. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he was he was really great. And I thought that worked for that character. But the other ones, I think that would have bothered me mostly was the musician. It seemed like the musicians were really mostly musicians and mm-hmm. or ensemble members. And also they were the only ones in the cast who were wearing prison jumpsuits. And that just visually, I didn't like that, how that fit in with the other costumes that the other characters were wearing. Um, so I didn't think that added much. And and I was a little surprised he even did it because there was a an orchestra, a fair size orchestra um, on an upper level at the, you know, at the back of the stage. So it's not as if they didn't have the space for them or anything like that. Uh, but other than that, I really, I really enjoyed it. I thought that Will Swenson was phenomenal. <laughs> in that show and uh eddie cooper uh and everyone in it uh, and and i i want to say i like that show better every time i see it um most people do <laughs> it's it's really it's so it if if i almost feel like if you had to pick one show that shows sondheim's genius to the greatest extent and also john weidman's <laughs> um mm-hmm. it in a way it's that one because when it first came out people were so mm-hmm. Weren't they? Up, turned <laughs> off to it uh i remember that very clearly uh how unsuccessful it was considered in that original mm-hmm. run uh and now it's uh, times have caught up with it uh because they really were just so ahead of their time, um, even though they were writing about historical events, which is interesting. So Assassins is a masterpiece. And Company, as I said before, I just was so um, happy that I was so pleasantly surprised by it and, and enjoyed the performance thoroughly, even though I still think the, the, the concept, the new concept doesn't work of... Uh, Ch- uh, changing the genders and changing the uh, the time period at the same time. I really would have it would have been interesting to see if they had uh, made Bobby a woman, but also kept the show in 1970. I think that would have been interesting, or if they had um, updated the action to the present, but uh, kept Bobby a uh, a male. Uh, although I don't think that that would really have worked that well. I think that the main issue here is that the music and lyrics are very, very much um, rooted in the time period where they were written. So, uh, and these people tried valiantly to update, <laughs> update both of them, uh, the, both the music and the lyrics uh, and the book, of course, but I didn't think it was completely successful. And yet I still loved it <laughs> because there's so much great greatness in it um, that, you know, it's, it's that greatness is still there. So I was really, really glad I saw that and, and, and so happy that I was so pleasantly surprised by it. Today's episode of This Week on Broadway is being brought to you by Today Ticks. I've gotten to see so many more shows than I normally would because of how quick and easy Today Ticks makes getting tickets. They have amazing prices for some of the best theater I've ever seen. Today Ticks is your one-stop shop for theater tickets with the best value on tickets to Broadway and beyond. Just download the app or visit todayticks.com to find a show that you want to see. Getting tickets is easier than ever. With the Today Ticks app, you can check out in 30 seconds and pick up your tickets with ease. 
I was hesitant to use today ticks because I was wondering, is this just another ticket reseller that's going to kill us with high ticket prices? But today ticks is not like that. Today ticks has affordable Broadway shows for under $50. Book your tickets months in advance or even day of if you're feeling spontaneous. Today ticks gives you access to exclusive pre-sales, limited time offers, digital lottery programs to sold out shows, and day of discounted tickets. Today ticks isn't just for Broadway and London's West End. You could also find tickets in cities across the country and around the world, including Chicago, LA, DC, San Francisco, Sydney, and more. See the shows that you've always wanted to see or discover something that you'll love just as much with Today Ticks. Go to todayticks.com/broadwayradio and use the promo code broadwayradio to get $10 off your first Today Ticks purchase. That's promo code broadwayradio at todayticks.com/broadwayradio for $10 off your first ticket purchase. Remember todayticks.com/broadwayradio. I'd like to thank Today Ticks for sponsoring Broadway Radio. So I I think about what you're saying about assassins and the company mm. playing instruments and things like that. I, I think that that adds a, a another level of complexity for understudies and swings. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, can, can you true. imagine? You know, yeah. if you're a swing covering five tracks, is that five instruments as well, mm. and five <laughs> five different parts, and you well, get to go on with the music? Very good point. Yeah. So uh, in the last week or so, we've had a lot of uh, talk in the Broadway community about understudies and swings, and I thought maybe we would talk about our favorite understudies and swings. So Peter, uh, who uh, stands out in your mind? Uh, Andrew Chappelle, uh, who has been with Hamilton for a while. I don't know if he's still with it, uh, but he certainly was with it from day one. And um, I was very fortunate to see him um, go on because he, uh, yeah, as you say, it must be so hard when you have to cover so many tracks. And that is that's a bizarre thing. And, you know, the I don't know if you know that um, famous um wonderful movie who am i this time where um christopher walken plays harry nash uh, a guy who is in community theater and he, he whenever they ask him to uh, be in a show he says who am i this time well i mean <laughs> you know <laughs> you know and if chappelle has um gone on for um philip hamilton the marquis de lafayette thomas jefferson um yeah mulligan madison uh, he's he's replaced as King George. He's replaced as Aaron Burr. I mean, you know, he has really uh, had such a very uh, eclectic experience with this. Um, and um, I, I um, did see him go on as um, uh, John Lorenz, and uh, he was really, really quite, quite effective. I mean, it, it's so. And again, the, the gentleman I mentioned in The Visitor, um, I thought was uh, really quite wonderful, too. I had an interesting experience with The Most Happy Feller at Goodspeed some years ago, where Bill Nolte was playing um, the first. Mm. Uh, oh, you know about this? Um, he was um, playing the role and he couldn't get through the uh, they decided for the second act. Uh, his understudy, John Payong, would come in. And boy, he was quite wonderful, too. Um, sometimes understudies are so wonderful that um, the original. Well, let me put it this way. Hallelujah, baby. Um, the Tony winning musical from the um, from 1968, I guess it was. Anyway, um, Leslie Uggams was um, not feeling well. Um, she started the show, but um, she couldn't get to the final number at the end of um, the act one being uh, good isn't good enough. And um, so the understudy came on 
And um, whoa, um, the audience went crazy, crazy to the point of which um, Leslie Uggams thought, maybe I better get back for act two, which she actually did. You know, and so I understand that happened once with um, Pro Bailey and Dolly as well. Oh. That, uh, that uh, Novella Nelson came on and uh, did such a wonderful job that Pro Bailey came back from act two. I'm not sure that that's true. I've only heard that story. Is it, um, was Novella Nelson uh, also a cover for her? Because wasn't Thelma Carpenter? I don't know. I mean, I, this is just a story I've heard. I'm, okay. not, I'm not sure I'm right at all, but I, I have heard, I'm, I'm, I'm less sure about who the understudy was than the situation happening. Yeah. Um, because I've heard more people talk about that, um, people who were there that night and saw that happening. So, um, so really, uh, it, it's quite a thing to, um, to have to um, go in at a moment's notice. And certainly it happened this week uh, at, um, at the Music Man. And Kathy Voitko is somebody I have seen here and there, and uh, she is really quite a, a talent. So I'm sorry that, um, of course, that um, people who are Sutton Foster fans uh, who paid a lot of money needless to say um expected to see sutton foster but um i hope that they were pleased because i've often said you know people who are just moaning when they hear the understudy is going on Mm. by the end of the show are convinced that the person who was supposed to do it could not have possibly have been better than the understudy and that's such a wonderful phenomenon you know just wonderful i i will admit that i have the luxury of something that most people don't have but when i go back to see a show i like it very much when there's an understudy on because of course i'd like to see the comparison i yes i can afford to do that i'm here i live in new york i mean etc cetera, etc cetera. you know but but still um it, it it can be really quite impressive when an understudy does go on um, and I, I still have mixed feelings about that August 9th, 1975 performance of Chicago, where word had gotten out that Gwen Verdon was out and Le, uh, Liza Minnelli was in. But I still have mixed feelings about when uh, the announcement was made. Ladies and gentlemen, Gwen Verdon will not perform at today's performance. And everybody gave a mock. Oh, as if to say, you know, uh, we're pretending that we're upset. Oh. <laughs> you know, and it was it was it was kind of sad oh. to see a four time Tony winning legend who, uh, who really was the reason there was a Chicago in the first place. It was her idea mm-hmm. to, to do it. Um, she she wanted to do it much, much earlier in her career. But um, no, um, I, I, I have seen understudies far and wide. And um, I don't know that I've ever seen one that I said, oh, my God, uh, he or she stinks. I don't I don't recall having that experience uh, in all the time that I've seen them. So um, I'll think of others as we uh, as we continue. Michael, how about you? Well, I told this story before. My most famous understudy story was not in the theater, but in the opera, uh, because how how long ago was it? <laughs> 25, 30 years ago, I was at the Met for uh, the marriage of Figaro, and it was supposed to be Felicity Lott. Uh, in the role of the countess. And they said, ladies and gentlemen, at this performance, uh, uh, Felicity Lott is indisposed and the role of the countess will be sung by Renee Fleming in her Metropolitan Mm. Opera debut. (laughs) So uh, somebody, I don't know if you guys saw, somebody uh, recently did a wonderful list, long, long list, uh, and posted it on social media of 
if you if you saw the understudy for blah 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 in blah blah blah, you saw yeah, and then yeah, yeah. you know listing these incredible people, all these incredible people who started as understudies, including Sutton Foster. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So that was a great list. My, yeah, that, uh, was, that was Jennifer Ashley Tepper, and oh, it, it reminds me that uh, indeed uh, one of the people she put on was Christine Ebersole for 20th Century, and I'm surprised I didn't mention it uh, to this point because uh, she was magnificent. Mm magnificent so um yeah that's uh that's one that really does deserve a, a great deal of credit and um but that w- that was a very fine list that uh, jennifer put together including people like richard gear and you know um, so right. um, you know it um, um everybody's got to pe- start somewhere i think uh actually i think peter and i uh would tend to have seen fewer understudies mm. because we go to critics performances mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so and they they generally try not to, you know, have understudies at critics' performances. But one that I did see was uh, a fellow named David Masenheimer in The Wild Party uh, going on for Mandy Patinkin, uh, you know, who I guess has maybe some issues as far as showing up for things like that. Uh, so I and he was really great as Burrs in that. And I notice I'm looking back here, his Broadway credits. Um, he was in Scarlet Pimpernel uh, as a replacement and uh, understudy. And uh, then he was in Ragtime as a Henry Ford replacement. And then he was in Wild Party, and that was his last Broadway credit. So I don't know if that was an upsetting <laughs> uh, situation for him, but he was really terrific when I saw him as Burrs. Um, I did see Judy Kay in uh, on the 20th century, but she was no sure. longer an understudy yeah, by that right, point. Right. <laughs> she had already been promoted. So, but yeah, that's another I, famous example. Yeah, I saw 20th century twice before she took over, but those were both Madeline Kahn performances, right? Um, Leslie Hendricks um, playing Yulele McKechnie Shin. Um, I thought Ruth Williamson was phenomenal in that role. And um, Leslie Hendricks uh, certainly. Um, was was great too and i think i saw her on the um the famous september 13th 2001 performance when broadway uh, came back after 9-11 and um yeah i i i really believe that um ruth williamson um set the tone for what every um Eulalie McKechnie Shin should be. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in this production, but the thing is, this was the first time I ever saw her played. Um, uh, well, let's say as a witch with a capital B, um, because um, and you think about it, you know, if you are the mayor's wife in this small town, you are la reine de la mer, and you really um, believe that you have the power that the mayor has. In fact, it's not hard to believe that you, Lely McKechnie Shin, would have some power over Mayor Shin, who does seem to be um, a bumbling idiot from time to time. So, uh, so the idea that y- y- you are uh, the queen bee is something that um, is really very smart. And uh, again, uh, whether it was Susan Stroman who said, this is the way we're going to do it, or Ruth Williamson who did it, and Susan Stroman said, leave it in, I don't know. Uh, That's always a question with any show. But um, I think it's a very smart way to go. And it made The Mayor's Wife far more interesting than than usual. Well, in in Hugh Jackman's wonderful curtain speech about Kathy Voitko and the other covers and understudies and swings who went on in that performance of the music man on uh what night was that thursday friday uh, uh, what, 
Uh, I think it was Wednesday because I think they were dark on uh, Friday and Saturday. Right. Yeah. Uh, which I think it was a total of like five, five or six people, right? Including Kathy. Wow. Uh, that be- many. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's why they were dark on. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he made the point that, um, you know, it would be enough of an achievement if they're only understudying one role. <laughs> But these people, you know, uh, some of them anyway, have to be prepared to go on for several tracks or roles, uh, uh, whatever, you, whatever you call it. Uh, and uh, they really are the, the most, some of the most talented people in show business. And sometimes, um, unfortunately, I guess you would say people get stuck in, That's true. Uh, you know, they are so good yes. at doing that and, yeah. and so well prepared that people and there's that they're so valuable as understudies and covers that they don't um, always get a chance to graduate. But, you know, this may this may be just the thing that that kicks it into high gear for Miss Voitko. Well, uh, indeed, um, many actors have said to me, I don't want to be known as an understudy, so I don't take those um, assignments, even though I get some money for them, blah, 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 because I just don't want to be typecast in that way. Ironically, I also saw Kathy Voitko uh, go on in The Pirate Queen mid-performance. Stephanie J. Block just couldn't go on for whatever reason, and suddenly... Um, <laughs> uh, there was no announcement, by the way, until intermission. Uh, suddenly, you had a different person playing the role, and um, yeah, and in intermission, they said, "By the way, um, <laughs> you've been seeing Kathy Boyko and uh, not Stephanie J. Block." So, um, so, so, really, I mean, this uh, this may be a situation where here is a person who has been either hmm. enhanced. Right. Or um, you know who's who's worked. We can look at it that way. Um, who has a steady job and um, maybe even enjoys the challenge. Some people, you know, enjoy challenges like that. Saying, "Okay, I I can show you. I can do it in a moment's notice." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and um, so, but for the record, um, she did take over uh, at at a moment's notice in Pirate Queen. I have a, a a versatility story that I think I've told. I saw 110 in the Shade at Ford's Theater a few years ago. And um, Gregory Mayhew, who, whom I know his work slightly, was uh, his his main role, his regular role in the show was Jimmy, who's a kind of a young, very, very young, enthusiastic, um, green uh, mm-hmm. kind of uh, immature kind of kid. But at the show that I saw, the performance I saw, he wound up going on for Starbuck because Ben Crawford uh, was out. Uh, for whatever reason. And, you know, there are not many roles as different as Starbuck and Jimmy mm-hmm. uh, in, 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 in 110 in the Shade. But there, that's the, exactly the kind of versatility uh, we're talking about here that was, that was exhibited by Kathy Voitko and all these other people. Oh, that reminds me of uh, the play Vanities. Um that was a big off-Broadway hit uh, back in 1976. Uh, ran for three years or so, and um, about three friends 
three high school friends who uh, cease being friends as time goes on, even though they they don't want to admit it. They're very, very different from the very beginning. Um, but there was a wonderful actress. I, I, I hope she's alive and well uh, named Mon- Monica Merriman. And she was the understudy, I believe, for all three. And I was lucky enough to see her both as the naive Joanne, uh, who's um, destined to be um, uh, a housewife and has no greater ambition than that. And, uh, uh, that's who she wanted to be. And uh, she was very happy with that. But um, also she played, um, I guess the character's name was Mary, I think, who was wanted to be sophisticated beyond belief and had no interest in marriage and children just wanted to um, enjoy life as such. So um, to see her in two completely different roles was so amazing. And um, it, uh, I love going to vanities. Uh, I went a number of times back in the late seventies and uh, I was so impressed. But the first time I saw her, she was playing the sophisticated Mary and I thought she was really quite wonderful. Uh, but then one time when I went she was going to be on as Joanne, I thought, whoa, how can she pull this off? She's so different uh, from uh, Joanne. But nope, she was quite fine as being this woman who was very satisfied to be a mother and a housewife and a good wife to her husband. Um, so uh, they're, they're chameleons. They really are. They have to be in there. And they're really quite wonderful. Um, when I say plays, um, I split uh, things into dramas and comedies so um so i have a few um mentions of comedies and um i thought a comedy of course is a vague term i mean uh, so many times uh comedies do, do not necessarily mean you know, laugh riots they can also mean um plays that have uh, a, a comedic thrust much of the time and um and reasonably happily so uh persuasion by sarah kearns uh, which was done by the bedlam group I thought was a very effective adaptation of uh, Jane Austen's work. I love the revival of Mornings at Seven at St. Clement's. Um, Dan Laurie is so wonderful. Oh, there's an understudy that took over too. Whoa, mm-hmm. yeah, she was uh, she was quite wonderful. And um, um, when uh, Judith Ivy uh, had to uh, leave, so uh, you'd swear that um, the part was hers from day one. Um, what was that lady's name again? I don't know. And that's too bad. You know, I don't have it down here, but uh, she was really uh, quite wonderful. I'm embarrassed that I don't have it down we'll here. We'll find it. Yeah, <laughs> we will. Um, so, uh, and, but John Rubenstein, Dan Lauria, uh, Patty McCormick, you know, so many wonderful performers in that show. I was sorry it didn't last longer. Um, Jacob Ming Trent, paying Falstaff in The Merry Wives uh, at uh, the Delacour Theater, I thought was really good. Down in Cape May. New Jersey, Rita Wren playing all three women in The Last of the Red Hot Lovers. Um, and um, Andy Prosky um, playing all three men in that. Um, well, it's, I'm sorry, he's only one guy um, who um, stays through the whole show um, playing this man who's been married much too long and wants to have a couple of, well, three flings, as it turns out. Um, so uh, they were both quite wonderful. I loved Ron Cephas Jones and Clyde's. I thought he was quite good um, in that. Um, When I was in Madison, Wisconsin, seeing um, uh, something I had written, I went to um, dinner with the artistic director. uh, And she said, "Um, look, you know, um, you're really going to be impressed by my niece, Madison Uphoff. Um, very, very effective uh, performer. And um, you're going to be very surprised that this teenager can deliver such a tremendous performance. 
And, you know, uh, you hear this from aunts and uncles and mothers and fathers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you have to take it with a shaker full of salt. I think we're going to hear from Madison Apoff as the years go on. She was tremendous, tremendous indeed. So um, her aunt can be very proud of her. So um, um, for director, I'd say Eric Tucker, what he did with Persuasion was really good. And oh, it's Allie Mills. That's the name of the lady. Yes, I just found it. Yes. Yeah, Allie Mills. Um, it's funny. I have a, uh, I'm looking at my list and usually I put understudies uh, in a certain place, but uh, I don't have her as understudy because when i saw her she had the roles so right. what i have her down as is sudden replacement <laughs> so that's why she's at the end of my list i'd also like to commend uh, beowulf borat for his settings not only for merry wives but also for flying over sunset um i'd like to uh, commend gregory gale for the costumes in fairy cakes the uh, douglas carter bean show that was um downtown uh, the Lighting for Sanctuary City by Isabella Bird, I thought was really quite marvelous as well. And uh, the projections that were in Flying Over Sunset, done by a group called 59 Productions. I don't know if that's how many they've done, but you'd really believe that they'd done that many, considering how apt the projections were for Flying Over Sunset. And for a special award, Donna Carnow in Seven Deadly Sins. Now, Seven Deadly Sins was an outdoor show. Um, done in the uh, meatpacking district, um, very close to the river. And you went from window to window watching uh, this scene, that scene, and the other scene. And uh, again, the seven deadly sins, you know, you saw a scene for each sin. And um, there was Donna Carno in Lust, and she was a pole dancer. And I have no idea if she was a pole dancer before she took on this role, but it's very easy to believe that she was a pole dancer before she took on this role because my God, what she could do with this pole, I'm telling you, um, it, it, it was something to see. So um, I wouldn't want to um, leave without mentioning Donna Carnow for her acrobatics in uh, Seven Deadly Sins, Lust. <laughs> All right. Michael, did we exhaust your list yet? Yeah, I think so because uh, pretty much because it was such a truncated yeah. season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all wish we could have had more to mention, but uh, alas, we could not. So, also, we had uh, news uh, yesterday that Harvey Evans had passed away. Uh, so, a uh, good yeah. friend of the podcast here and Michael and Peter's uh, good friends. So, Michael, mm. why don't you say a little bit about Harvey? Well, Harvey was our guest on the podcast at least twice, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I forgot to look up those uh, podcasts, but we can we can put those in the show notes as well. And he was such a wonderful, wonderful guy, um, as well as, uh, you know, another very versatile person. Uh, I uh, One thing I'm including is uh, I, I was happy that I found this in the late 90s. Uh, for In Theater Magazine, we had done a little photo, mini photo retrospective of Harvey's incredible career. And uh, I had scanned those uh, two pages and sent them uh, to James so we can include those in the show notes as well. And Harvey, uh, you know, he really was amazing starting at uh, he uh, it turns out he was even younger than I realized <laughs> um, he was born on January 7th 1941 uh, he would have turned 81 
Uh, so ne- next week or whenever that is, uh, January, January, January 7th. Uh, but the obits are listing his, his age is 80 because technically he, he hadn't turned 81 yet. Um, but he, he really was, um, let's see here, uh, the, to read, uh, the, the beginning of this article that I, that we wrote about him with the photos, uh, the title of the article was Gypsy King, which, you know, you couldn't do that anymore, but um, I, I personally don't have a problem with that, with that term. And, and Harvey always proudly considered himself a gypsy uh, in the way that he went from show to show. Uh, so let's see, uh, though he has played more than a few leading and supporting roles in his 40 year plus career. Again, this was the late nineties. Uh, there's still a whole lot of the gypsy in Harvey Evans, soul currently featured as ozzy in the scarlet pimpernel he's been strutting his stuff as a member of the ensemble in scores of musicals and the occasional straight play since he was barely legal a quote i was 17 when bob fossey hired me for the national company of damn yankees i had graduated a year earlier from high school in cincinnati uh, Cincinnati, I think that came up recently, didn't it? <laughs> mm. uh, not because I was so bright, but because my birthday fell on a certain date. Uh, that job led to more work with Fosse, the pajama game on screen, New Girl in Town on Broadway, and to Evans being hired by Gower Champion for a movie called The Girl Most Likely. Mm-hmm. Uh, another major influence was Jerome Robbins, with whom he worked in the original production of West Side Story. Uh, Evans' Broadway credits include a few other shows you may have heard of, Gypsy, Anyone Can Whistle, George M., and Follies as Young Buddy. On tour, he played everything from the title role in Barnum to Zaza in La Cajo Foal. Among his films are Mary Poppins and the magnificent big screen adaptation of West Side Story. On TV, he danced in six episodes of Judy Garland's mid-60s variety series, starred with three AMs. Anne Margaret, Anne Miller, and Anne Mara mm-hmm. in Dames at Sea, and was gay confidant Dwayne to Lauren Bacall's Margot Channing in Applause. Uh, prior to Pimpernel, Evans was a proud member of the Sunset Boulevard Ensemble. Quote, he said, we had some people in that show who were offended by the word gypsy. They wouldn't even participate in the Gypsy of the Year competition." To me, that's just stupid. Working is what's important and the quality of the work. I got the gypsy robe for sunset and I was thrilled to get it. Uh, For those of you who don't know what the gypsy robe is, uh, they used to uh, give... uh, or this, they used to stitch a robe together of bits of costumes from previous shows and give it to the um, was it the youngest member or the debutante in a in a new cast of a show as a sort of a rite of passage, and there would be a whole ceremony uh, before opening night of of each show. Uh, so that was a wonderful tradition that I'm not sure if they do that anymore, and if they do, I guess they don't call it the gypsy robe anymore. Um, but that that was Harvey, and he the got legacy role. At- robe i think is what oh right yes yes thank you yeah so he he was such a dear person and he uh i was so happy that he was able to participate in our 60th anniversary uh concert uh that we did on the on the night uh to date of the 60th anniversary of the opening of west side story on broadway uh the original production so that was september 26th 
2017, uh, because the show had opened September 26th, 1957, and to have him there and to talk about his involvement in the in the show uh, in which he was a replacement uh, a jet, and then in the movie it was an incredible privilege. We're we're going to include a video of that section of of that that tribute show in the show notes as well. Uh, a link to to that so you can you can enjoy that uh, uh he harvey had been ill for quite some years and um so i'm i'm glad his his pain is over but it's a tremendous loss oh and uh one final thing um i mentioned this a couple of weeks ago and it has finally been cleared up uh as to whether or not uh, harvey did appear in the new west side story uh he had been scheduled to be in it but was not able to do so because of uh, of his illness, uh, and uh, apparently our um, Adam Feldman uh, went directly to Rachel Zegler <laughs> to uh, to clarify this. And as I guessed, this is what she wrote: "Hi, Adam. Bert Michaels, original Snowboy, was actually our security guard at Gimbel's." Mm-hmm. Uh, then she wrote, "I'm not sure where Harvey's cameo is in our film. If he had one." which he didn't uh but he was absolutely deeply loved by our wss family and we will miss him dearly so um so yeah it's bert michaels in that movie but harvey didn't quite make it but he uh everyone there's been an unbelievable outpouring of love for him on on facebook and and social media from from many many people including tony yazbek who i know loved him dearly Mm, and uh and uh, don korea uh posted something wonderful on behalf of him and his wife sandy duncan because uh harvey worked with sandy in that revival of the boyfriend that uh they they were the ones who wound up walking away with the reviews for that production so yeah it was an incredible incredible career and uh and rest in peace harvey evans um may i add uh that um harvey uh said during high school he was an enormous doris day fan and um <laughs> right and he couldn't believe his good fortune when he was cast in the movie of the pajama game and uh, there's a point where they have to carry her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Michael knows this story, apparently, uh, where uh, they uh, a whole bunch of guys have to carry her uh, you know, as just uh, I'm not saying this is what happens in the movie, but just to uh, make things it's horizontally. In the, yeah, it's in it's in the, uh, the seven and a half cents number. So uh, he said, I couldn't believe that there I was putting my hand on Doris Day's ass when indeed, you know, I admired her so far from afar. And this brings up an understudy story, too, because I remember he was telling me when he was um, understudy to Jim Dale uh, in Barnum that um, he'd be walking along the halls before a show. And there's Jim Dale. And hi, Jim, how are you? And he said, how are you? Has such a different meaning when you're an understudy <laughs> because you're essentially saying, are you well enough to go on? You know, he says, it's so embarrassing. We all say, how are you? As a matter of fact expression, um, we don't even necessarily mean, how are you? Uh, it's just something we're used to saying. It's just as much as uh, an expression is hello. And but here it, I feel so ashamed when I just default to saying, how are you? Because of those circumstances. Um, 
he also talked about the fact that his experience with anyone can whistle, which was such a chaotic show um, when it was uh, happening back in 1964. Uh, he, he talked about the fact how embarrassed he was for Angela Lansbury when um, she saw that Nancy Walker was in the audience. Mm. Um, and uh, there was talk about Angela Lansbury being replaced by Nancy Walker and um, how elegantly uh, Angela Lansbury took uh, that situation. She didn't mention it. She didn't complain, all that kind of business. Um, her feeling, he said, you could tell her feeling was, this is my job. And until it's not my job, I will do my job. So, uh, so he would have um, memories about that as well that were, um, that were pretty um, effect- And also talking about that famous incident where um, producer Kermit Jum- Bloomgarden's 16 year old son was making suggestions and everybody had to listen because he was <laughs> the son, you know, and um, how everybody was so embarrassed for this, that reason and the other ones. So it was very nice that as the years went on, he was able to play Buddy, not just young Buddy, but Buddy, I think it was in Michigan mm-hmm. um, that he was able to. Um, do that role in Follies. And, you know, this, it's always sad when we lose another member of Follies. And um, here we go, you know, because uh, already Victoria Mallory um, was lost a few years ago um, through an illness that um, one associates with much older people. So, so yeah, um, that's why we must really uh, enjoy the time we have and enjoy these performers when we can enjoy these performers. Um, so, so I'm very sorry to say that he, he, he was a good guy. I loved how he came to the Theatre World Awards every year. It was very nice to me um, about uh, my emceeing and uh, always made a point of coming back and, um, and, and talking about that. So, uh, um, so I liked him for that, too, needless to say. Harvey got to play older buddy uh, twice, at least twice, I believe. There was the production you mentioned, which was with Marilyn May. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there was this Long Beach Civic Light Opera production with Ed Ivanko, Julia Prowse, and Shaney Wallace. Uh-huh. So, yeah, uh, he, he really loved getting to do that. Mm. All right. So that wraps it up for this morning. Before we get on to uh, trivia and the musical moment, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. Spotify, Our Heart Radio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play. Anywhere that you can listen to find a podcast, you can find Broadway Radio's offerings. For a transcript of this episode, please email transcripts at broadwayradio.com and include the uh, episode name. We have transcripts of all of our, our Broadway Radio episodes. Uh, and also, uh, you can go to the show notes and find contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me there, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do we have an answer to last week's trivia? What do these songs have in common? Things Could Be Better from the Full Monty, What Do I Do Now from Mame, I Would Trust Her from the Pajama Game, and Why Can't a Woman Be More Like a Man from My Fair Lady? The answer is, those aren't the names of those songs. <laughs> Things Could Be Better from the Full Monty is actually called Jeanette's showbiz number. What Do I Do Now from Mame is actually called Gucci's song. I Would Trust Her from the Pajama Game is I'll Never Be Jealous Again, and Why Can't a Woman Be More Like a Man from My Fair Lady is actually a hymn to him. Paul Whitty returned to first place, followed by Mike Meany, Brigadude, Isaac Blevins, J. Aubrey Jones, Josh Israel, Jack Leshner, and Tony Chanicky, who made more guesses than the number of women who have played Dolly on Broadway before he finally came up with what I was looking for. So 
this week's question. This is easier than it sounds. And I've said that before, haven't I? Anyway, the first musical in which this actor appeared ran four performances. Although it starred an actor who had had a solo in a very famous Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. The second musical in which this actor appeared was produced a year later and starred someone who may well be more famous for being a certain celebrity's husband than an actor. This show doubled the run of the first show. All right. His third show. Well, um, the third show was his last appearance in a musical. It was a Tony winning musical that had been adapted from a book. The musical ran for thousands of performances. Yes. Thousands plural and was even made into a film. However, this actor whose name I'm seeking was not a member of the original cast, but a replacement. What's the point of all this, you ask? And justifiably so, I'll admit. <laughs> this actor had the same name as a very famous character, character, okay, who appears in a very different Tony-winning Best Musical of many <laughs> years later, one that had been adapted from a film and ran even longer than the first hit best musical in which this actor replaced. So what's his name, which is also the character's name. What are the two flops? What are the two hits? Okay. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, uh, I had to scramble a little bit and try to think, uh, of what, how to tribute Harvey Evans. Uh, but I thought we would start, uh, with the opening music uh, being Harvey's section of uh, Love Will See Us Through from Follies. Harvey always said that, uh, he always said, uh, on my tombstone, it's going to say, here lies Harvey Evans. He was in Follies. Mm. So, um, so I think that, um, that he would like it, that we, that we use that as the opening music. Um, and then, uh, and then for the ending, I was wondering what to use. And I thought uh, we would use the Jets song from the original film of West Side Story because Harvey has actually a solo speaking line in it, uh, which is where are you going to find Bernardo? So <laughs> so when, when you hear that, um, that's Harvey. And, and then another little fascinating thing is about that cut is that the role of riff in that cut is dubbed by Tucker Smith, who was Harvey's good friend and who also plays um, the, the role of, I always forget if it's ice or ice, diesel sorry. ice, ice who sings uh, cool. Uh, and, and for whatever reason, it was decided that Tucker would dub for Russ in the jet song because they didn't like the way that Russ's voice sounded like that. But the other connection there is that Tucker Smith was also in Anyone Can Whistle on stage with Harvey. Mm -hmm. And during uh, uh, previews or rehearsal, um, Tucker fell into the orchestra pit. And although he uh, was not severely injured, uh, someone died. Wow. Uh, because of that. So that was a, the, an example of how snake bit that show was. And of course it, it, it had a very, very brief run, but, um, but that that's the Tucker Smith, Harvey Evans, uh, West side story, anything goes story, <laughs> anything, anyone can whistle story. And, um, and yeah, I, I love it that Harvey has uh, a, a solo line in the, in the jet song 
in the movie in the 61 movie and also uh, as as many people know uh his face is the last one that appears on the screen at the end of the jets song when the jets are uh kind of moving towards the camera and the camera zooms in and Har- and harvey is the one who, that the camera uh has in, in its in its sights when he says yeah at the end mm-hmm. um so that that's our little farewell tribute to Har the Dear, dear, dear Harvey Evans. Mm-hmm. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. When you're a jet, let them do what they can. You've got brothers around. You're a family man. You're never alone. You're never disconnected. You're home with your own. Companies expected, you're well protected. Then you are set with a capital J, which you'll never forget till they cart you away. When you're a jet, you stay a Now I know Tony like I know me, and I guarantee you can count him in. In, out, let's get cracking. Where are you going to find Bernardo? It ain't safe to go into PR territory. Read the dance tonight at the gym. Yeah, but the gym's neutral territory. Hey, Rab, I'm going to make nice with him. I'm only going to challenge him. Great, Daddy O. So listen, everybody dress up sweet and sharp. Meet Tony me at the dance at the 10. And walk tall. We always walk tall. We're Jets. The greatest. When you're a jet, you're a top cat in town. You're a gold medal kid with a heavyweight crown. When you're a jet, you're the swing and a sling. Little boy, you're a man. Little man, you're a king. The jets are in gear. Our cylinders are clinking. The shots are too clear. Cause every Puerto Rican's a lousy chicken. Just like a bat out of hell Someone gets in our way Someone don't feel so well Here come the Jets Little world left aside Better go underground Better run, better hide But draw the line So keep your nose hidden We're hanging a sign The prisoner's forbidden And we ain't kidding Here come the Jets yeah. And we're gonna beat Every last bugging gang On the whole fucking street On the whole fucking